0: Sunday of June, and uh, as you know, on the first Sunday of June, as, as Ken had just mentioned, and if you've been following along as well, we do have what's called the um, we call it the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. People call it communion. There are various different types of ways of expressing that. Um, and if you were able to be a part of our Seder on Palm Sunday this year, back in April. You get to see where you got to see where this came from, and uh, this portion. It's not just something that that happens. You know, the Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, just didn't pick up a cup of juice and uh, or a glass of wine, and a piece of bread, and he said, "This is my body. This is my blood." It was intentional. It was in, you know, and and so for the first century Christians, those that understood what the Passover meal meant and the Seder supper meant, they understood what it meant to take the bread and the cup. They understood that. And so we go through the whole Passover meal, not because we want to be Jewish, but we want to express and show where our roots come from and helps us to see that, um, that we are not just celebrating uh, on first Sunday of the month a cup and, and a cracker, but the significance behind it. And in last week we talked about the scourging that Jesus Christ went through. We talked about the persecution that he endured to pay the sin, the penalty of sin. God's wrath is upon mankind, and God demands justice. And because God demands justice, he is going to receive it. But the very good news about this God of ours that is graceful and loving is that he provided the lamb, he provided the sacrifice, he provided Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ became our propitiation. The the word propitiation is a biblical word, but it basically means that he, Jesus Christ himself, he was able to appease God by the offering that he gave. Anything that we give, any righteousness that we think we can offer up to God is considered as filthy rags, is what Isaiah says. We cannot give enough. We cannot do enough. We cannot be enough for God to love us in such a way. This is why we have to place our faith in Jesus Christ, because he's the one that atoned for us. He is the one that was the a substitutionary atonement. He substituted himself or us for him. And when he substituted, when he's the substitute, God laid all of his wrath upon Jesus Christ. And, and, and it took that time, that the time in the, to, in, the, on, in the grave, it took all of that time to take all of mankind's sin and unleashed it upon Jesus Christ so that your sin could be covered when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Those that place their faith in Jesus Christ, they recognize, as we mentioned last week, they recognize that they are sinners. We are sinners. We recognize that. We recognize that we can't appease a holy God because we've already sinned. And our sacrifice, as worthy as it might be, is blemished, it's tarnished, it's not spotless anymore. So there's something that has to be done. And that's why God sent Jesus Christ to propitiate, to appease, to be the atonement, to shed His blood so that He would be that perfect sacrifice. When you place your life in the care of God and you place your faith in Jesus Christ... And you may have heard this before. People would say that everything is going to be okay. And everything is going to be perfect. I want you to know that. But you have to wait till you die in order for that to happen. You have to wait till you get to heaven. The Bible says it's a place of no mores. No more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more dying. Uh, no more taxes, no more government, <laughs> no more, no mores. You have the government of God and the economy of God and, and everything is going to be, well, it's going to be heaven. That's why we call it heaven. And many of us, we long for that place. As Paul, we'll talk about that in the next couple, couple of weeks. We'll talk about how Paul says, you know, I, I would rather to, to be in the presence of God than to be here, but it's, it's more fruitful for me to be here than to be there. But it is a place, when you come to know Jesus Christ, you will get that, but not now. Amen? <laughs> How many of you guys have experienced the not now? You know, you want the, you know, the no mores, no, no you, you got, not now, you, you'll get it when you get there. Right now, unfortunately, we all go through struggles, trials, temptations. Uh, trespasses that people do upon us or against us. We go through all these difficult situations and nothing can calibrate or can calculate the maturity level of a believer. Nothing is able to see what a believer is made out of. Nothing in all creation can actually see. You can say it all you want. You can write it as often as you want on your Facebook page and how much you love Jesus and how much you love God and how much you trust him. But when the... When it starts to get to the point where the pressure is on, when the heat is turned up, that is when you start to realize and to see what a believer is made of. That's where you see what it is that you actually place your faith in. Are you going to have the faith in God that he is in control? Or are you going to fold and flounder all over the place? You see, Paul was this type of a person. He learned how to be happy in all circumstances. He learned how to be great. He knew that one day he would be standing before God, and he says in First Corinthians, in Second Corinthians, that these light and momentary troubles—they're light, and momentary. You, you know, th- there's something greater that's going to be coming. And, and, you know, for Paul, I mean, he was genuinely being persecuted. Uh, He was left for dead once. He was stoned. He was beat up. He was imprisoned. He was shipwrecked. He was all kinds of things just happened to him. People hated him. His whole uh, circle of influence turned against him. And then the people that he preached to, they didn't like it. And and as I mentioned last week, the gospel does one of two things. Either it it receives you or repels you. You receive it or you repel it the gospel message is designed by God to bring that conviction upon your heart. And beloved, when you come to that conviction of knowing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, then all of a sudden you're new. You're different. Jesus Christ makes you born again. You have the faith and you receive what it is that he gave you and you are now a new creation. And the, the problem is, is that we still live in this world. We still live in this body, in this flesh. And so many things are going to happen. You're going to experience a lot of troubles and trials and temptations trespasses you can experience a lot of a lot of things and this is what paul is talking to us about here in philippians chapter 1 verses 12 through 14 i'm hoping i can get through 18 today But there's so much in here that I want us to get through it and to see what Paul is going through. And hopefully we can get some application. We will will get some application for our own life on how to put this into practice. But here's a couple of verses that I don't have. I didn't give it to the people. But the first one is, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean the people, our sound techs. (laughs) The people we keep in the box back there. (laughs) Ecclesiastes chapter seven. Ecclesiastes is of course written by Solomon. And Solomon, you know, after many years of, of joy and of all kinds of things and, and party and just everything, he had he had the life. He was the riches and he says it's all vanity. It's vanity. In chapter seven of Ecclesiastes, chapter verses two and three. He says this he says it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting you stop and pause and you think "Well, what why is that better I would rather go to a house of feasting I would rather go to a house of celebration I would rather go to a party than to go to a house of a funeral is better to go to a funeral than to a house of, of feasting and then he says for this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart in other words he says At the end, we all end up here, in in, in the funeral home, in a box, uh, cremated, or whatever the case may be. We all end up there. One day, somebody's going to stand above your grave and above your your tomb, or whatever the case may be, box or uh, urn, and somebody's going to say, this person has no more problems. And that's when your problems will end. This part, And somebody will talk about you. And Solomon says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it astray. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the face, the heart is made glad. You see, what Solomon was trying to get across is, you know, we don't see the need for a God when we're celebrating, when everything is going great. We don't see the need for a savior If we don't see that we need saving, we don't see the need for God's grace and mercy when we have all of God's grace and mercy upon our life. And what Solomon was trying to get across is this, is that sometimes we have to be forced into those situations that God puts us in just to recognize his presence. Now, I don't want to belittle anything that you guys are going through. Some of you have gone through some very hard stuff, difficult stuff in your past. You know, some sickness, some illness, some loss, financial problems, marital problems, relationships, all kinds of things are going on in your life. I know. I know. And uh, and, and that's not that I know you personally because of that, but some of you I do. And, and it's because I know because that's what life is. You see, as a matter of fact, God says, I'm gonna put you in these situations, in these places for a very specific reason. When Moses went to Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, you got to let my people go. After the 10 plagues, he said, go. And they took off. Pharaoh looked around and says, hey, man, where's, our, where's all our workers? We're not going to be able to finish these projects. Go get them back. It is estimated that there were anywhere from 2 to 3 million people that left Egypt. Can you imagine? That's a lot of people. Two to three. That's about the size of L.A., well, almost. I don't know what it's, big, what it's like now. San Bernardino has almost 300,000 people. And the reason they know this is because when they counted the fighting men from 14 to 45, the fighting men, they came out with close to 800,000, almost 900,000 people. That's just the fighting men. That's not talking about the kids. That's not talking about the older people. That's not talking about the women. So at the minimum, at least one million people. And all of a sudden they're gone. And Pharaoh says, you know what? All our firstborn are dead already. Go get them back. And they went and The problem was that the people of Israel found themselves up against the Red Sea. And there was the huge sea ahead of them. And then behind them, they saw the army coming at them. And of course, they grumbled and they told Moses, Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? Why me? Why me? I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's what I do. I don't know about you. And they were crying and and Moses says, you wait and see. And you know the rest of the story, but probably one of the things you don't know about that place that they were at, that place where they were at is called Baal's Afon. Baal's being God. Afon means resting place. God's resting place. And they called it that because that's where the gods were, to, according to the Egyptians, that's where the gods came and they rested alongside the Red Sea. And that's because it was beautiful and it was deep and it was wide and it was sufficient for all the gods to come and rest. But see, what the people of Israel didn't know is that that was God's resting place for them. Because they were about to see God's miraculous miracle, what he was going to do. You see, some of you are right now in God's resting place. Come on, pastor. Really? The struggles I'm going through? The things you're calling that a resting place? Well, let me share with you a little bit of what happened to Paul. Paul, of course, he's in prison. And uh, if you want to read the prison story of Paul, uh, you would find it in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, and we've gone over this before, but it, just, it, it, it uh, really just helps in repeating it just a little bit. In Acts chapter 20, when he uh, speaks to the elders of, of Ephesians, and he goes to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, the elders in Jerusalem told him, don't go. We sense there's great trouble for you already. You've been ministering. You've been going. People are after you. They're going to kill you. We've got word that they're going to get you. They're gonna you're gonna get you're gonna get caught again and Paul says, I have to go. There was this urgency, this sense of need that he had to, he had to be there. And in chapter 21, he goes to Jerusalem, talks to James, the pastor of, of the church in Jerusalem. He's the one that wrote the book of James. And he visits James, and while he's at he's at at James's place and he's conversing with them talking about all the things that he has done and and how they have set all these churches in place and and how he's left elders and all these different places and in then in verse 27 of chapter 21 Paul is arrested at the temple he goes in trying to make a vow to God saying you know Lord whatever it is that you have in store for me and they arrest Paul saying that he was trying to cause a riot and they wanted to kill him and they took him for his own protection they put him in police custody you know for protection they put him away what's going on here and they they were fighting and they were arguing and they were going to kill him and 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 they just pulled him out and stuck him in a cell not necessarily because he was a criminal but because of all this stuff that was going on in in rome and these these soldiers that were there they they talked to nero and and they talked to Pilate and they said look herod all you guys the governors there's things going on here that we have no clues to what's going on but they want this man dead And they couldn't find a cause for him for two years. And for two years, he was in prison in Jerusalem. And after that, Paul says, you know, but I'm actually a Roman citizen. Good, we're going to send you to Rome. You appeal to people in Rome. And they sent them to Rome. And it is in Rome where he spent another two years that he wrote these prison epistles. Now he was in prison, yes, but he wasn't in prison as you would think, like he was the first time in in Philippi. When he was in Philippi, remember him and Silas were in lock and chain in stocks, and they were in stocks, they were chained across one from each other, and they were in prison because of the the preaching that they were doing, and, and there was a Roman guard there as well. In Rome, he was free to go around his he had like a house. Not necessarily a dungeon, but it was like a place of security is what it was. And he, but he was chained to a Roman guard. And we'll talk a little bit about the, the Empire Guard here, the Imperial Guard in just a little bit. And he was chained to a guard. People would come and he would go and they would bring him whatever he needed and he wrote his letters. But he was in prison and he was locked down. He couldn't get out. And he was, of course, you know, not able to visit the churches. And, and so Paul's situation and his circumstances... This is what he calls them, circumstances. And his circumstance, he says, you know, I want to give God glory for my circumstance. And we're going to read from verses 12 through 18, at least for now. And he says this, I want you to know, brethren, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambitions, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, Paul says, I rejoice. Paul can see the silver lining in any situation. (laughs) I'm just ecstatic about what's happening. I rejoice because the gospel is being preached. I rejoice because even though they are doing it to hurt me, the gospel is being preached. Father in heaven I pray that you help us to get through this portion of scripture to see how Paul is being affected and that we can relate to some of these situations that Paul had gone through that we're able to see what it is that we can do as well so father once again we just thank you for that we pray in Jesus name amen you will experience troubles that's just a fact That's not only a fact, it's biblical. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep your word. Yes, you'll be persecuted. But if Jesus Christ spoke it and you keep that word and you speak it, then they too will keep Jesus's word. You see, as a matter of fact, a little bit later in John 16, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Not happiness, but Jesus says you need to have this peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. What? I have overcome the world is what Jesus Christ said. James, as a matter of fact, the portion of scripture that we're going to get into in just a little bit. James says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, I want you to understand something that James is talking to a church that has been dispersed. By this time, the apostle, the Saul, which became Paul later. By this time, Saul had already ravaged the church and the church. The people in church were being imprisoned and their property taken and everything just because they believed in Jesus Christ. And they were all over the place. And James is still preaching to them and James is still teaching them. And a a lot of these families have been broken up, thrown in prison, some killed and stoned because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They would not renounce the faith. There's an excellent movie. It's, it's a movie about three Catholic priests that go to uh, Japan in the 16th, 1700s and how they would not renounce their faith and how they would torture them. And, and after a while, they realized that these priests that they were torturing because they were standing firm in the word of God, they come to realize, you know what? These guys are never going to renounce. So let's start torturing the people that they are preaching to. And so as they were torturing the people, the people wouldn't renounce either until finally the priest says, okay, 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 okay. Stop it. And, uh, of course, they pretended to renounce Christ, but still, it, it just caused a big old division. And Japan now is a very difficult place to enter the, the kingdom of God. But there are a lot of churches that are in that area. This is the kind of persecution that was going on, the persecution that goes on in Afghanistan, where they behead Christians. They light them on fire in cages. They take their children. And missionaries we send all the time into these places. Some of you probably don't remember um uh, Castro Castro Louis Castro and his wife Twyla Louis and Twyla were missionaries to Southeast uh, Asia and, and and so they came right before COVID started and then they got stuck here with COVID for two years. And so we brought them out and they shared with us a little bit about what they were doing. You know, they couldn't tell us exactly where they were at. And so they gave a testimony. And, and so they, they were able to to further the kingdom. And, and after some time, after COVID had finished and two years later, they got sent back out. And I can't even tell you where they're at because they won't even tell me where they're at. However, because they are in these places, one of the one of the videos that we had, we had to take it down. Don't let me say that out too loud. We had to take it down because their names had populated the Internet and, uh, and, and the place of to where they were going to or where they had been at. And we had to take that down so, so we can keep them safe in their ministry. And these, these, this couple, an amazing couple, you know, and, and they were just willing to go into the, the land where God is sending them to, to be able to minister in the name of Jesus Christ. And so James is telling the people in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He's not talking about, I can't find a parking, I can't believe this traffic, man, there's lines. That's, those are the trials he's talking about, okay? God, I got, man, I can't believe the stuff that I'm going through, you know? I mean, just sometimes we think that God is mad at us because we run into all kinds of problems. That's not what he's talking about here. Beloved. But we take that verse and we apply. Well, you got to count it for pure joy. Count of for pure joy, beloved, because God is testing you. Yeah. No. Anyways, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, what James is saying is, you know, you're going through these things and God is testing your faith. Are you genuinely a saved, a saved person? Are you a believer? So you're going through these things and you're going to endure these things and God is going to test you. And you're going to end up at the end, perfect. In other words, in heaven, complete. In other words, again, you're, you're, nothing's going to be, be disturbing you, lacking nothing. Even though you have nothing, you have everything if you have Jesus Christ. Amen. God can use the most difficult trials of our life for his glory if we would just submit them to him. You know, I was up north this uh, this past weekend and I was with some friends and some people were uh, praying over this gentleman and it was my turn to pray. And I prayed for him. I says, Lord, you you know, use this situation. I even told him, use this situation. I said to him, Grumpy, nobody can reach the people that you have the potential to meet right now than you. Those people that you would have never met before. You know, the therapists, the doctors, the the, everybody that's attending you. You are in a unique situation to use this ailment of yours to preach the gospel. He goes, wow, I never thought about it that way. So I says, Lord, keep him in this situation. He says, whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) Don't pray that. I want healing. No, keep him in this situation and in this circumstance until your perfect will is done. That's the prayer of a mother I, I learned this from a a missionary in russia he came he stayed at our house and and he was telling us i asked him so what, you, what, what amazes you about the people there what, what's going on there he says you know what's really amazing he says, we were having a prayer circle one time and, and uh, we were all getting together and, and one of the mothers could make it. and She called me. And she says, you know, my son's in the hospital. He's gravely ill. We don't even know if he's going to make it or not. And he says, my friend says, you know what, Let's, we'll pray for him. No, no, no. If you're going to pray for him, I want you to pray for him in like manner. And she says to him, pray that God keeps him in this situation until God's perfect will is done. You know, maybe God wants to do something in his life. Maybe God wants to do something in the the doctor's life or in the nurse's life or or maybe in my life, maybe in your guys' life. But pray that God keeps him until his perfect will is done. Wow, that's powerful, beloved. And and see, this is the message that Paul says. He says, now now I want you to know, I want you to know, brethren, that my, and in the uh, New International, uh, excuse me, the New American Standard Bible, they use the word circumstance instead of, you know, what has happened to me. And this is why this message is called, you know, having joy your circumstances. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater purpose of the gospel all this time in prison, all this time chained to the Roman guard, all this time that he's just sitting there writing. He's getting news that people are coming to know Jesus Christ. And he himself is coming to know Jesus Christ. He says, you know, this, there's this advancement of the gospel. It is growing bigger and bigger. Uh, in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he says, But I do not account my life for any value nor as, a precious, as precious to me, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Last week we talked about the gospel. We talked about how God had put it into action way before Jesus Christ. He he foretold of it. It was prophesied 750 years before Jesus had even come onto the scene, before the birth of Christ. And and Isaiah laid it out, the crucifixion, laid it out how they were going to despise him and reject him, laid it out how they were were just going to torture him. Isaiah was able to show The the Messiah. They didn't know that it was Jesus, but they knew a Messiah was coming and this was going to happen to him. Way before the crucifixion was even invented or even thought of, Isaiah was prophesying about it. And Paul says, I want to share that gospel. See, because God put this into motion way before time began. This is not an afterthought. Jesus Christ's crucifixion wasn't a mistake. It wasn't something that wasn't supposed to happen. It was designed by God in his prominence and in his, in everything that he, he is. He, it was designed by God for this to take place. He says in Romans 1, 14 and 16, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul was writing this to the Romans before he even got to Rome. I want to go to Rome. I want to go there. I want to preach the gospel there. Little did he know that he was going to go as a prisoner. But his intent, most people believe, is that he was going to go there, establish a home front, establish a stronghold, establish a place of, of launching out and going even further with the gospel message. That was his desire. But God says this far. See, Paul, you can't do it all. you got to train people to do what it is that you do. You've got to take that on and, and go forward in, in 1 Corinthians 9:16, I like the NIV translation and this is why I use this one. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach the gospel. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I was at an event one time and one of the one of the after I finished speaking, one of the people that I went with there went there with, they says, you know, because we ride in a motorcycle group called Bikers for Christ and everywhere we go, sometimes I'm asked to speak or give a message. I think it was a funeral at this time. And, and one of the people, when I sat down at the table, she says to me, he says, you know, Pastor Sal, I, I always appreciate that every time you get up to speak, you share the gospel message. And I go, whoa to me if I don't preach. <laughs> you know, I'm afraid, ha- I'm afraid to see what will happen if I don't. If I get that opportunity to share the gospel, I better just share the gospel. Yeah, but this is not a gospel sharing place. That's why I got to share the gospel. I might not ever have that opportunity again. You know, I I was given an opportunity and then it was taken away from me. But I don't know why, but only God knows. I was given an opportunity to speak to a huge group of people. And I was going to get up there and say, but you only got 10 minutes. 10 minutes, that's all you got. Okay, what did I say in 10 minutes? And I thought in the back of my mind, if these were the last 10 minutes of my life. And I knew that these were the last ten minutes of my life, and this is all I had. What would I say? And I started thinking about it. Okay, let's. Uh, I'd have to present the gospel. Then they came up to me and says, Well, you know, I'm sorry, we got somebody else to do it instead of you. But next time, next, all right. But now I'm ready. Now I'm ready. Whenever they give me a time limit, okay, what would I say in that time limit? What? I do it all, as Paul says. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them its blessings. And this is Paul's desire. This is Paul's call. This is what he's doing. And so in verses 13 to 14 of Philippians, so he says, he says I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. And to the rest of my that my imprisonment is for Christ. The Imperial Guard. The Imperial Guard is another movie that if you haven't seen is called Ben Hur. It's the newer Ben Hur, not the old one uh, with Charlton Heston, I think, or I don't know who it was. But this one here is about a, a, a Jewish priest during the time of Jesus. Matter of fact, Jesus makes a couple of appearances in, in this movie, but it's not about Jesus. But it's during the time of Jesus, and the, uh, her uh, or the son of her, Ben Hur, is Judah. Judah, son of her, Ben Ben Hur. He is a prince in Jerusalem, and he's, you know, apparently not, and this is not a real story, I don't think. It's more of a you know, creative licenses type of thing, but but it depicts the time of Jerusalem exactly as what we were going to talk about here. There was a Roman guard. They protected the the governor. They protected the the king. And there were there were over uh, ten thousand of these imperial guard. And they were the elite of the elite to protect the king. And they went into Jerusalem. And they and, and Judah and one of the guards were good friends. And he says, brother, I need for you to tell me if there's anybody out here that, that would want to hurt the king. He says, well, I don't know anybody. And there was these zealots that wanted to get rid of the Roman guard this is what they wanted Jesus to do to get rid of the Roman guard 10,000 soldiers in our city telling us we can't do this and we can't do that we want to get rid of them we want our Messiah our king when Jesus came on the scene they saw all the things that he was doing they said he's the king look at how he feeds the miracles all these things and they pronounced him as king he he walked into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday they said hail to the king palm branches and blankets and Hosanna 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 in the highest he's come to save us he's come to save us Come to find out he was nothing. They crucified. Yeah, You know what? Crucify him. He's not our king. And these guards that are in this movie, you'll see them. They're, they're, they're the best, the top notch. 10,000 of them, they, they served for 12, 16 years. And they were the ones that were taking care of the best. When they retired, they retired with good severance checks. That their pay was good. And, and this imperial guard that Paul was chained to one at a time, 10,000 of them. I'm sure in two years there was a rotation and Paul is preaching to his friends that are coming and they're listening and he's writing and they're asking him, what are you talking about? I'm sure that Paul was converting a lot of these guys. And they were asking him, what happened to you? Why are you in prison? What did you do? And he would say, well, you know, here it is. I used to do this but here I am. This is what I'm doing now for Jesus Christ. I used to persecute the Christians. Now I'm being thrown into prison because I don't want to do that anymore. I'm part of them. And Paul was able to to share the gospel message. And this is what he's trying to get across. My circumstance has been used by God to further the kingdom. And he says here, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, over 10,000 people, guards, Roman soldiers. He says the whole imperial guard came to know about Jesus Christ and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Not only the guards, but everyone else. Every place that Paul was at, he preached the gospel. You know, if we can't get anything else out of this portion of scripture, use your circumstance to proclaim Christ. How many times are we sitting in the hospital calling everyone, please pray for me, please pray for me, texting and, you know, pray for me, you know, and this is happening in my life. Now, beloved, yes, we will pray for you, but Keep that composure that Christ has given you, that He is sovereign. He's in control. He has you in that place. It's difficult to see what God is going to do if all I'm focused on is me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. And, and we use that situation to proclaim Christ. And we use that circumstance, whatever it is that you're going through, whether it's in the hospital bed, whether it's at home. And, and as I started off at the very beginning, I said, I don't want to belittle what you're going through. However, as a believer of Jesus Christ, you need to know that your call is greater than any problem or struggle that you have, to, you have uh, come across yet. Your call is greater than and bigger than. Whatever it is that's going to come your way. And then he goes on to say after this, verse 14, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He says, you know what? Now, not only am I able to reach people, not only am I able to, to be able to stretch out my, the, the gospel message, but those that are coming to visit me, they too. They, too, are speaking boldly and they profess Christ because they see me in chains and all the things that I've gone through. If Paul can do that, then I can do this. Do you know that a lot of what your children and grandchildren are going to learn? They're going to learn not by what you say, but by what you do. You've heard that expression. Do as I say, not as I do. The reason that expression comes out is because, you know what? You know that what you say is correct and you know that what you do is not. They are going to learn how to form relationships. They are going to learn how to deal with situations and problems. They are going to learn how to deal with circumstances by the way you act and react in front of them. And it's not a matter of what you, you teach or preach. Every, most things are caught than taught. You will. They will. They will catch things more than what they, the things that you teach them. What they see and how you respond, and, and and that's how many of these children and grandchildren and people that are looking up to you are going to respond as you do. This is what happened to Paul. Paul considered himself a spiritual father. People saw Paul going through all these struggles. Well, look, if Paul can do it, I can. He's not. You know, if if you remember correctly, when we first started talking about Paul and. Uh, That was in first Corinthians. I shared with you a little bit about what he apparently looked like about 100 years after Paul had died. Somebody wrote about Paul. He says he was a short little man with the you know with a big old hook nose and he was hunchback and he was kind of bald and ugly looking, you know, kind of waddled more than anything else. You know, he was he was just not a a handsome man. He's just not a person that you would look up to. You have to look down to Paul in, in essence is what they were saying. And, and when, when Paul was being uh, tortured and all these things, and his hunchback could have been because of the, the injuries that he's received. He was blind, supposedly, couldn't see. Uh, and so there were a lot of things that were going on in Paul's life that did not hinder him. One, one testimony that I, I constantly go by, too, go by is uh, this young lady named Joni, Joni Eric Joni Eric as a teenager dove into a river and hit her head on a rock and cracked her neck. And she's been paralyzed from the neck down ever since for the last 40, 45 years. And she's older now, and she, of course, was one of those people that just you know, just wanted to end life. I can't do anything. But she's used that experience to be a motivational speaker. She goes to churches and talks to people about Jesus Christ and how God has used her. And all she can use is her teeth to move around in, in, in her chair. And she uses her teeth to write, to paint, and to draw. She's written books. She's painted pictures and paintings because of her tenacity and her willingness to get the message across. There was another guy that had cerebral palsy and he and he came to Emmanuel Church one time. This is a long time ago. You know, I'm not trying to make fun of him, I'm just trying to show you with you on how he was and, and what he did. And he'd come out and, and you know he'd, he'd say he'd use that to get the gospel message across. He says, one time they got stopped going across the border. They were taking these tapes that they were going to give Christian tapes, and, and the border patrol stopped them He says, You can't, what is that? This is you know, he's trying to get across. These are my tapes. Well, how many you got? He says, Okay, well hold on, let me show you. you can only take like five, you know, how many you got? He goes, OK, hold on. So he opens up the bag and as best as he can, he goes one. And he goes, two. And then at the third one, the guard got mad at him. Will you hurry up? He goes, oh, man, now you made me lose my count. I start all over again. <laughs> and then he goes, I have cerebral palsy. What's your problem? That's what he would say. You know, and then he would go on to his, the, the messages that he preached, uh, how he met his wife, his beautiful children, and how God has used them in the ministry. And uh, you've, you've got to see the CD. You'll, you'll His name is Dave. I have cerebral palsy, he says. What's your problem? Wow. You know, it, it, and it, when we start to look at the Apostle Paul and the, the people that have gone through with all these ailments and we start to look at our own problems, we start thinking, you know, my problems ain't that bad, to be honest with you. Yet we magnify them and we build them up, and people look at how we are responding to circumstances. And the people that looked at Paul's circumstance, they say, Wow. And Paul says, It's, it's, it's happening to be able to, to get the message across. Then he goes on to say, You know, here, there's something you need to know. So some indeed, in verse 15, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, and, but others from goodwill. There were people that were not preaching a false gospel. Envy. Envy is more of, the word really means, um, it, it, envy is, is not just, you know, man, I wish I had that. Envy is more than that. Envy is not only, I wish I had that, but I wish that not only did I have that, but I wish you didn't have it. Then you shouldn't even have it, because why do you have it and I don't? I would rather you not have it and me have it or nobody have it at all. That's envy. That's envy. When you wish that the person that is being blessed or has something, and you want that taken away from them, and you cause some sort of, some sort of attraction or whatever it is to get rid of whatever it is that they have, that's the envy that the Bible talks about. As a matter of fact, envy is one of those words that uh, the Apostle Paul talks about, and and when he when he says when he uses this word in Scripture, a lot of times he uses it right alongside with just about all the other things that are devious and, and hurtful and, and, well, wicked and evil. He says so in, in Romans, chapter, uh, Romans chapter 1. Hey, let me just show you real quick. Romans chapter 1, verse 19. Because, because one of the things that we look at, when we look at envy, a lot of times we think that, you know, well, it's no big deal. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, some people can envy this and envy that. But in verse 19, he says this. And we got to go a little further Uh, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. And then in verse 24, therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And then down in verse 29, we put it all together. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, and malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. The list goes on and on and on. But The very first thing Paul says, envy. You know, this, there's this desire to have, not only to have, but that the person that has not have it at all. And it is linked with murder. And it's a desire to do whatever it takes to take that thing away or that whatever it is that they have and bring it upon themselves or maybe nobody has it at all just break it. Nobody has it. This is what was going on with Paul people hated Paul because he preached the truth. My, my sister says, you know, you're mean. So I says, OK, I'm sorry. You're, you've always been mean. I know. When I was younger, I was mean. I was very selfish. And, and so I'm, I'm constantly having to apologize for her. And then finally, she says, OK, so just so you know, it's not that you're mean anymore. So you just tell the truth. <laughs> you tell the truth. And that's kind of, that kind of hurts. I go, well, OK, is that OK? I'm not mean anymore? No. Can I keep telling you the truth? She says, no. She says, yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah. And it's that kind of anger that people had toward Paul. And this maliciousness, they wanted to take it away from him. They wanted to to, to not only, and Paul is saying, this is what they're trying to do. Not that they're preaching a bad gospel. They were preaching the gospel that was correct. Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and resurrected. They were. But what they wanted is they wanted the attention. They wanted what Paul wanted. A lot of people go into ministry for that same reason. A lot of people try to follow the pastor or somebody else and they talk bad about him because, you know, he's successful and, and they want that success. A lot of people, you know, go into the youth ministry or to the music ministry because they think that they can do better. I can do better than that. I should have that job. Why does he have that job? Envy is ugly in a church, but it happens. And, and, and it is portrayed as a virtue, well, you know, the brother is a good person, you know, but, but, you know, he's got all these flaws and, and, and you know, and I think somebody else would be probably better to fill that position. Well, would you happen to know of any other candidates? Well, of course I'm here. <laughs> I'm a lot better than that guy. I'm a lot better looking too, or whatever the case may be. You see, when in Paul's case, he says, you know, these guys think that they're really hurting the, the ministry. you know, And as long as Christ is being preached and God will use that, he won't bless the person, honestly, but God will use that. God will use that and people will get saved. But what Paul is saying here, he says, you know, some of these people, they're doing it out of envy. They're doing it out of rivalry. They want to, they want to hurt me out of selfish ambitions for, for proclaiming the gospel of selfish ambitions, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? He says in verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and that I rejoice. Paul says, you know, it doesn't matter what they say. If Christ is being preached. Now, if they're preaching a different gospel, they need to be cursed. Galatians 1.8. And so what do I do? How do I handle this? How do I become like Paul? How do I become a person of substance in circumstances? How do I have joy? You see, happiness is what most people pursue. Happiness has to do with happenstance, with where you're at. If everything is going okay, then you're happy. This is why Solomon says, you know, it's better to be in a house of mourning. Because in a house of mourning, you don't, you're not happy necessarily. But you have joy in your heart that this person knew Christ. There's joy in your life. And you can be joyful at the celebration of this person's life. You know, we're at a party. Everybody's trying to be happy by all kinds of events and things that they do or done to them. Or they can do to others. Because it makes them happy. But that's short-lived. How do you do it? Well, in your outlines, James chapter 1. Very quick. I mean, this is not going to take long. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Every time you're tested, every time you're pushed, it causes this steadfastness. You know what? I can deal with that. Next time, okay, I I was okay with that one. And the next time you realize, okay, you know what? Maybe I need to step back a little bit and, you know, this way I don't get pushed over. You know, and and maybe now what I need to do is get some brothers behind me to help me out. Maybe now what I, you know, I can do this. This is what Paul had. He had that steadfastness, that, that joy. Four reasons for problems in life. Number one, and I've shared this with you before, but now I'm giving you an outline. Number one, trials. Trials happen in our life. These are your outlines. Trials happen in our life to draw us closer to God. They happen in our life to bring us closer to Him. In this, you rejoice, Peter says, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, God sometimes causes us and allows us to go through these trials because He wants to test your faith and draw you closer to Him. Number two, sometimes our problems come through temptations. And see, trials are designed by God to draw us closer to Him. But temptations are designed by Satan to pull us away from God. And temptations cause us to pull away from God. But you cannot be tested beyond what you can bear. There's always a way out. Always. He tells the people in Thessalonica, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. For fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. The tempter is constantly trying to tempt you and pull you away from God. You don't need to be there. Why do you go to church? They don't like you. You're worthless. It's all the pastor's going to tell you. You're a sinner. Why even go there? Why even do this? Why why even be a part of that? You you know, you say you're, you're, you're a believer, but you know, you fall all the time. Yes, we do. But see, it's not a matter how many times we fall, it's a matter of how many times we get back up. Number three, trespasses caused by others. Problems in our life come from either trials, temptations, or trespasses. In other words, things that people do to you that you had no control over. Out of the blue, boom. Things that have happened to you. I hate to say, but maybe when you were little, when you were growing up. People that you trusted. Things that have happened to you and, and this, which has caused this, this lifelong troubles of misery, because of what somebody done or somebody said, you know, maybe you got fired from a job, you know not even knowing that you were going to get fired from a job and somebody said something or did something and blamed you, and caused this pain upon your life. And what most of the time when that happens, the first thing we want to do is retaliate. But Paul says, hey, I'm in prison for the same reason. I didn't do nothing but preach the gospel. Praise God. I'm still preaching the gospel. That's what when you focus on the gospel, it's exactly what happens. As a matter of fact, Genesis chapter 50 is the story of Joseph. I don't know if you know the story of Joseph at all, but Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was one of the youngest. As a matter of fact, they called him the dreamer because he had dreams. Hey, I had a dream that that I was the the moon and you guys were the stars and you guys were bowing down to me. They go, what? How are we going to bow down to you, you little runt? And then, then he had another dream. Yeah, I, I had another dream, and I'm standing up, and you guys are all these sheaves of wheat, and you guys are bowing down to me. And they go, you know, we've had enough of this dreamer. And so they, they would take off, and, and uh, his dad uh, would send him out and says, go, go see what your brother's are doing. And he'd say, ooh, they're not taking care of the sheep. He'd come back, and he tells his dad, dad, they're not taking care of the sheep like they're supposed to. So not only was he a dreamer, not only was he, uh, you know, he was also a tattletale. Then one day, when they were way out there, uh, Jacob says, go, go see what your brothers are doing. I want to know what they're doing. And so he comes out, and the brother says, okay, here comes that dreamer. Let's get rid of him. Let's just, you know, end it once and for all. And they says, you know, we'll, we'll just kill him. We'll rub the, the, his cloak in blood, and we'll pretend that an animal ate him. And, and so and then we'll tell, tell our father, you know, an animal ate him. You know, what, what can I say? And, uh, and that's exactly what they did. They didn't kill him, though. The oldest brother says, oh, we can't kill our little brother. They threw him in a pit. We'll throw him in here for now. And we'll come back later and we'll see what, you know, see what to do with it. We'll feed him or whatever. We'll just come back later. But we'll tell our dad that a lion or an animal killed him. So they went and Jacob cried. He, he, he mourned his son. When they went back, he wasn't there. There was a caravan that had gone through there and found him in this hole. Hey, help me. I can't get out of here. Sure. Come on. And they made him a slave. They sold him in Egypt. A man named Potiphar, Bought him. He was a, a, a man of God. He was a man of integrity. And Potiphar loved him and says, you know, you're, you're good with books. You're good with numbers. You can interpret dreams. You're a good man. And, and Potiphar's wife really lusted after Joseph. And Potiphar's wife, one day when Potiphar wasn't there, uh, Mrs. Potiphar went up and says, hey, come have, you know, I want to have relationships with you. And he says, no, you're my master's wife. And he fought and he fought and he struggled and he ran off. And she started screaming with his coat in his hand, a multicolored coat. And she screamed and she called the guards. He tried to rape me. He tried to rape me. And he was thrown in prison. And in prison. Now, this is one guy in prison. He's getting ready to get killed. And there's these two guys there, a baker and a, a cupbearer. And they both have uh, these weird dreams. And he says, well, you know what? Your dream means that you're going to die. And your dream means that you're going to be elevated and become a, a very good, you know, cupbearer from this point forward. So they they came out of prison and they made them a cupbearer and they made him a cupbearer. Uh, the other one. And, and so they, as, as they were, uh, one of them dropped the bread and the king got mad at him, killed him right there on the spot. And the other one became a very prominent cupbearer for the king. And the king says, you know, one day he says, you know, I had this dream and I just can't, I can't, I can't get over this dream. And the cupbearer says, that, you know, let me just tell you something what happened to me. And there's a man downstairs in the prison that interprets dreams. And the dream that Pharaoh had, Joseph interpreted saying, you're going to have seven years of famine. First of all, you're going to have seven years of good years and then seven years of famine. And what you ought to do is you ought to stock up all the food that you can the first seven years. Because after that, there's going to be a famine. And you will be the only person, king, that will be able to bless all the world. That's exactly what they did. And when that happened, when the seven years started, Pharaoh says, you know what? I want you to be my right-hand man. And he became Pharaoh's right-hand man. Lo and behold, the whole place was devastated because there was a famine. Joseph's brothers come to Pharaoh. And they have to deal with Joseph. Now, they didn't recognize Joseph. This is years later. They didn't recognize Joseph, mainly because he looked like an Egyptian, you know, had the mascara on, the little ponytail and, uh, you know, the Egyptian garb. And so the, and, and also they would come and they would bow down. And, and but Joseph recognized his brothers. He says, all right, it's time to get even. And what he did is he pulled a trick on him, threw him in prison. And then finally he just says, you know what? I just, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And he saw them and he says, and he started crying. They looked up at him. Why is he crying? You know, they were kind of like startled. And then they go, it's me, Joseph. They go, what? And then they, then they recognized him. And then he says, Joseph said this, you know, it says the God, uh, his, his dad says, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of God, of your father. Joseph wept, and they spoke to him. And then in verse 20, it says, You meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. Things that happen to you because of other people, they might mean it for evil, but God means it for good. Beautiful story. You've got to read it. Number four, the last one, troubles. Sometimes, you know, things happen in our life because of trials that God puts us through. Sometimes things happen because of temptations that Satan is trying to tempt us with. Sometimes things happen to us because of trespasses, what other people do to us. But which one do you think happens most of all? Troubles caused by us. When we're in trouble, we blame God, we blame the devil, we blame everybody else, but we don't blame ourselves. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own eye, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so before we start blaming God, and I hear this a lot, God is testing me. God is testing me. You know, he knows that I, I spent all my rent and, you know, I know that he, uh, he knows I ain't got no more money. He's just testing me. You spent your rent. <laughs> you know, I, he knows that I have a quick mouth and I, I cuss a lot. I, he knows that I do that. Well, you're the one that's giving out all those bad words. You know that you're the, you know, and, and God, God is testing. No. A lot of times it's things that we do on ourselves. So what to do? Number one, when going through trials, rest in God. When God is pulling you through trials, just rest. Sit in that Baal God's resting place. Submit yourself then to God. Paul says to the people in Thessalonica, We sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by the trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. Isaiah says that that, uh, we should, we we have to trust in God. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. When Satan seems to be tempting you, and you start to realize, you know what? This is a temptation. Then what I need to do is resist. When tempted by Satan, resist. When tempted, resist the devil. James 4, 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. James doesn't say to fight him. James doesn't say to you know box him. James doesn't say to argue with him or to reason with him or to anything. But just resist. Stand firm. I ain't doing it. Whatever it is that you want me to do, Satan, I'm not going to do it. Because I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to pull me away from God. I ain't going to do it. I, I, I cannot for the life of me. I don't understand how people say, I, I just could help it. You know, I, just, I fell. I fell. No, you didn't. You ran. <laughs> you jumped in that hole. Head first. <laughs> you didn't fall. Just resist. See, the power of God is stronger than the power of Satan. Amen? The power of God is stronger than the power of Satan. If God is not going to make you do anything, how much more power is is Satan going to have? You resist him. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. it. Number three, when offended, when there's a trespass upon you, release the trespasser. Just release him. Let it go. Just say, you know what? That's on you. But he's going to get away with it. No, he's not. And so what? You know, people get trespassed upon all the time and they refuse to let it go. I'm going to hold on to that until the day I die. Well, you know what? That's exactly what's going to happen. You will die with that anger and hatred and venom in your throat. God says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Matter of fact, Jesus told them, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. And the last thing I want to share with you is this When you are causing your own troubles, repent. Repent. When in sin, repent. Wash your hands, your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You see, there's there's things that happen in life that you cannot control. Most of them, you can. Most of the things, you know, you can control. But if God is bringing you to something, you know, just rest in God. Just rest in Him. And He's causing these trials in your life for a reason. Just rest in God. If you're being tempted by Satan, well, then resist Him. And if somebody has trespassed against you, release them. They don't need in holding on to it. For what? It doesn't do anything. But when you cause your own problems in your own life, repent. Just repent. And God forgives you. And repent is a change of mind, a change of will, and a change of life. It's not just thinking differently. It's a change all the way around. Let me ask you to stand. I'm sure Paul had a lot of love. A genuine love that only comes from God himself. And this love that he had for even those that would abuse him and cause these things to happen to him, even them. And I'm sure Paul got mad from time to time. There, there's times that I'm sure he got upset. And we, we do have an incident of him and one of the uh, one of the brothers, Mark. And, and you know, but the one thing that Paul always came back on is, you know what, whatever it takes to share the gospel, that's what I'm going to do. Father in heaven, help us to understand and to see and view Paul in his situation and in his circumstances. And I pray, Lord, that in our circumstance, that we too can um, come to a point and recognize that we are still here to share the gospel. So give us peace. Help us to have joy in our circumstance. Thank you once again for this portion of scripture, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. amen. All right. We're going to go ahead and have the Lord's Supper, if you guys can just go on back there and pick up your your cup, your communion cup, and your wafer. Thank you. Glad to see the children with us today. Paul said to the people in in Corinth, For I received from the Lord... What I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this wafer that represents the body of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving us that that beautiful picture from Passover on the bread of affliction that represents your body, and for laying your body upon the cross so that we also can endure. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this, eat this bread... And drink the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you once again for this juice that represents the blood that came from the cup of salvation. The consistency and the color all remind us of that blood. Father, we pray that you bless this juice and the vine that it came from, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, Lord, we thank you for this day that you give us to be able to share together with, with brethren, friends and family for the fellowship you provide and all that you do. Lord, we just want to bless you. And we want to be encouraged by you to stand firm in any circumstance. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And we all say, amen. 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 All right, we're dismissed.